a week and plus ago. But um, I just want to let you know the things that did not affect. Uh, when Cheryl drove up this morning, Jim Miller came out and opened my door on the van, which was really nice to get out. And I just sat there and waited for him to undo my seatbelt. And then I realized it's on this side. So I had to assure him, no, it, it was shoulder, not brain surgery that I had. Uh, but then I walked into my office this morning, unlocked things and walked in. And I guess I need to assure you, it is shoulder surgery. I didn't have anything done to my lower back. So whoever took all the chairs out of my office, I'd like to have at least one back, okay? Uh, I'm not sure who the culprit is on that, but you got me, okay? So I'd like those back. Also, through this whole process, you know, God uh, teaches us many things to uh, associate with each other and love each other better. And I just got to say, a lot of you have had this surgery. And I prayed with you and I prayed over you. But it's different, you know, once you go through it yourself and understand. I, I thank God for that experience. Pain is a gift, uh, really, from God to recognize how he made us. Uh, I also realize now, even though I have only one arm and a sling, I now know why the T-Rex went extinct. Because I can't do things with my, I'm right-handed in a sling very well. And even though this thing is a cross-your-heart thing, I have sympathy for every woman here. Just understand that this morning. Okay. Uh, you know, every now and then, there's a passage that comes along that just kind of rocks your world. And I can think of several different seasons in my life where God's Word has just really cut to my heart. Uh, where I was at the time, what I was going through. And they challenged me to walk in a new direction. I remember one. Uh, it was in a college chapel where I sat on a family night worship time. And I heard Philippians 3. I mean, really heard it for the first time. And we sang it in a song, and I'm not going to sing it this morning, but it says this, All I once held dear, built my life upon, all this world reveres and wars to own. All I once thought gain, I've counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you. There is no greater thing. You're my all, you're my best, you're my joy, my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. And, and, and you know that comes, again, from Philippians 3, where the Apostle Paul said this, What's more, I consider everything a loss compared with the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. I mean, what a, what a transitional and tremendous statement that just changed the trajectory of my life in college. Well, several years ago, another passage just, just really, God hit me with it at a time that it just cut through my soul. And it has me reevaluating all the time still where I'm at. Now, this was about 15 years ago, and I heard a guy from Chicago by the name of Jim Dethmer talk about this passage of Scripture. And maybe it's not one that you've, you've heard a lot about before. Uh, we kind of piecemeal other scriptures out of this, this passage or the book of the Old Testament. And maybe it's not one that you've read recently unless you're doing your daily devotions in the book of Malachi, which is where I'd like for you to turn this morning. And follow along with me as I read in our passage for today. The prophet Malachi writes in Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I'm a father... And where's the honor that's due me? If I'm a master, where's the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It's you priests that are showing contempt for my name. 
But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. And you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? And, and, and he said, oh, oh, that just one of you would shut the doors of the temple so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. Just close up, lock, board the doors of the church. I'm not pleased with you says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hand. And, and then he says in verse 11, my name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it, saying, the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring the injured, the lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat, the one who cheats God, who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And so God is saying to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament and to you and me as well and our faith as a church today, check it before you wreck it. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read that, it, it, again, it cut to my soul. You see what's going on here is you've got a group of people who should be eternally grateful uh, to the Almighty God. He's done so much for the nation of Israel. Just 50 years prior to this, Ezra had rebuilt this temple and now they're bringing in diseased and lame sacrifices to God. And God says, how quickly you forget how good I've been, all that I have done for you. And here you are offering up the, the, these you know, one leg diseased, one horn, blind rams leaning up against a fence. And you see, that's all right, God will understand. I need that one. What's God going to do with that ram or that sacrifice? Let's just give that one to God over there. I don't know what this passage says to you this morning, but what it says to me is that Bill Warax cannot offer to God a one-eyed, one-legged, diseased, mutilated kind of life to him. i got to give God my best because God deserves our absolute best as living sacrifices. He does. Don't, I mean, don't you think so in your life? He wants our best, and, he, and we're told in Romans 12:1, and I like this in the message paraphrase. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Now, it'll go on to say, realizing that what God has done for you, you should do for him. A living sacrifice as a follower of Jesus who seeks out a life that shows what lies beneath. 
And today we're talking about excellence in our life. That I'm going to live my life giving God my best because that's all he's ever done for me. Now I want to do a little exercise with you this morning. You guys have sang, you have prayed, you've participated at the table of the Lord. I'm going to give you a chance to speak this morning. Uh, I want to go through the alphabet with you, okay? Now, I don't know if we've ever done this in a worship service before. I don't think that we have. Uh, But we're going to start with the letter A. We're going to go all the way through the letter Z. And I want you to yell out something. Yes, I said yell. That describes God, okay? I mean, Psalm Psalm 66.1 says... Shout for joy. Shouting is an act of worship. So if we start with A and you say, amazing. I want you to shout, amazing. God's amazing, okay? So I'm going to give you the letter. You give me the characteristic that describes how wonderful God is. A. This might be annoying. I said God, not me, okay? We're describing God. B. Beautiful. C. Caring. D. Delightful, I like that. E. Oh, elegant. F. Fabulous. Father. G. Great. All right. H. You're getting quieter on me. H. Oh, holy. I. Inspiring. J. Joyful, just. I like that. K. Kind. L. Big one. M. Majestic, magnificent, wow. Uh, N, noble. Anything else? I wrote nice. I don't know why it would be. God's nice. O, omnipotent. P, perfect. I think I heard something there. Q, what's that? I put quieting. I'll go for that one. R, come on. Righteous, S, Savior, T, Terrific, U, Understanding, Ooh, V, Victorious, love it, W, X, excellent, it's a sermon today, right? Y, what? Yearning. Hey, good job. He's reading my sermon back there, aren't you? (laughs) Z. Zealous. All right, good job. You know what I like to do? If I have trouble falling asleep at night, I go through the alphabet. And I do that and think about God. And I come up with the words that describe me. If I get all the way to Z and I'm not asleep yet, and I suggest you go back to A and start again. What better thing to be thinking about as you go to sleep at night? than the wonderful, awesome God that you love. You know, when I think about this passage and I think about who it was written to, the nation of Israel, I think back to to first how excellent God had been to them. I mean, he chose them after all to begin with, right? He gave them an excellent deliverance in bondage from Egypt. They were depressed, they were oppressed, and, and there was no way out until God made a way where there seemed to be no way. And he gave them guidance, right? In the daytime, he gave them what? A a pillar of cloud to guide them at night. Pillar of fire to guide them. He gave them excellent leaders in in Moses and Aaron and, and then later in Joshua and Caleb. He gave them excellent provision. 
He gave them manna every day to eat and, and quail and, and water from a rock. I mean, that's just awesome to me. He gave them awesome patience. How many times could God have said, that's it? I am done with you as a stubborn people, as a rebellious people. You can just go back to Egypt for all I care. But he gave them an excellent patience. Now I think about all that God had done for them. And then I translate that over for us. What has God done for us in an excellent way? I mean, one of the first things you got to think about is, is forgiveness, redemption, salvation through Jesus Christ. What an excellent idea. And I think it's one that we can understand particularly because of how much we love our children. You'll probably see it at the Super Bowl tonight. John 3.16 on a sign, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him would never perish but have eternal life. We can understand unconditional love because it would be almost impossible tough for us to give our child for somebody else. What else has God given for us that's excellent? He's given us grace. You know, I love that song, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. God is the God of second chances. God is the God of restoration. He's a God of, of mulligans and do-overs in life. Philippians 4.8 says, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. You know, what else has he given us that is excellent? He's given us the Holy Spirit. What a great idea that was. The Holy Spirit to indwell every believer in, in a moment-by-moment, -moment, personal, daily guidance kind of a relationship. To fill us up when all that this world and all the relationships of this world does is empty us out. And he does more for us. What, what else God has done? His word. I mean, every time we read his word, doesn't it change us? Doesn't it nourish us? What an excellent book the word of God is. And he's given us the blood of Jesus as well. You know, if you were an artist, and I took you down to Hocken Hills, and, 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 and some of you guys have been there, and I gave you a sketch pad and, and some charcoal or pencils, and I said, I'm going to give you six days. I want you to sketch out uh, a scene for me. You, you draw some trees. You know, you, a lot of you guys, you're like your own Bob Ross. I know. You put a little happy tree here, you know, and, and all that. And you'd bring it back to me, and, and I'd say, man, you did a fantastic job. How would you feel if I took that same beautiful picture you took six days to draw, and I turned down to one of the preschoolers here at the church, gave him a big red crayon and said, go at it. And you know how kids draw at that age, right? They don't have the fine motor skills to hold little bitty crayons, so they've got those big fat crayons in their fist. And, and they just scribble all over that. And they just destroy that beautiful picture you made. But what would happen if we took a red piece of cellophane and laid it over that picture? You wouldn't see all those red squiggles. You'd see the picture underneath. See, I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus because when God looks at us, he looks at us through the blood of his son. And all the mess that we've made of the beautiful creation and lives that he intended for us because of Jesus, he sees us redeemed, perfect, restored because of his son. What an excellent idea. Creation. I mean, we see it every day. And the Bible tells us how excellent it is. 
Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glories of God. The skies proclaim the wonder of his hands. All creation does the alphabet. All creation starts. God is, is awesome. And today, today is a gift of God. And he gives us eternal life. I think about a four-year-old experiencing what she did and saying what she said as Jenny shared with me this morning. You think about heaven. Man, what an excellent place God's preparing for us. And when I think of all that, and I think of all that God did for the nation of Israel and what he's done for me, I have to ask myself this question. How am I going to respond to a God who's only ever always given his best for me should I give him an imperfect sacrifice of my life or should I give him my best I tell you every time I read this passage it just cuts me up because of the times that I don't bring my best to God anytime I come to him with one foot in the light and one foot in the darkness one foot on the path the scripture makes so clear and one foot in that broad path that leads to destruction and feel that gravitational pull to be like everyone else around me. It just leads me to that broken moment where I just literally have to just go outside at night under the stars and open my hands before heaven and say, God, I give up. I am so so sorry. I repent. I just, everything that I've done before, God, I want to give you all of me. I want you to take all my life. I want to, I want to really mean it, you know, and I sing, I surrender all. And I just think, God, I, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know I want you to hold my life. And I want to live this life for you wherever you want me to go, Whatever you want me to do, whoever you want me to reach out to and touch and speak to, my hands are empty. And I'm choosing right now to put both feet in the light. To put both feet on, on that road to eternal life because I want to give you the best. Well, what this passage means this morning, uh, and you've got this on your outline. We're going to do this pretty quickly here. I believe to give God our best our excellence is to yield to him in these three areas. Number one, we need to remove all limitations from our commitment. Remove all the limitations from our commitment. I mean, I've discovered wherever you are, you've got to take, it, take them off. If you say, God, whatever, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do with my career, with my family, whoever you want me to talk to, God, I'll do it except for or only when you can't do it. I have to take those limitations off my commitment. Think about those rockets at NASA getting ready to blast off. Can you imagine them going through that countdown? You know, you see the, the vapors and the clouds starting to rise. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six. And you get down to one, but the restraint harness hasn't been removed and all those attaching cables are still there. What's going to happen? There's a good chance that that, that rocket is just going to explode and destroy everything around it. It's not going to take off. Or it's going to have an errant flight path that's going to crash. And our lives are like that. When we don't fully commit to God, we get ready to receive the beautiful gifts that he's offered. We get ready to soar for him. But as long as those limitations are there, we risk self-destructing. We risk causing a lot of damage in the lives of people around us. And so we have to say, we need to say, and we are blessed 
when we say, God, whenever, wherever, whatever, it's just my life. And I want, I, I want this day to be a palms-up day to you. Every one of the limitations, they're gone. I want to be like it says in, in Mark 8.35. Jesus said there, if you insist on saving your life, you will lose it. You're going to miss out on life. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. Am I going to give God my best in light of all that he's done for me? Well, i got to take off the limits. Here's the second one. i got to wrestle with giving God an excellent response to his perfect love. Now you said, Bill, you just said that. No. I said you've got to wrestle with it. It's, it's not always an easy thing. Sometimes you're like Jacob beside the stream in the book of Genesis and you're wrestling with an angel and you've got to say, I'm not going to let go until I receive the blessing that I know you had in plan for me. And you know what? You might walk away limping from that encounter. God never promised us a pain-free life. He never promised us a life without rotator cuff surgery, a life without cancer, a life without RSD, a life without divorce. He never promised us a, a pain-free life. But he promised a perfect glory. He promised a perfect grace through all that. And a reminder, stop seeing yourself through the broken lens and see yourself the way I see you. And how does God see us? He, he sees us as worthy of lavishing his love on us. Now, you don't hear that word a lot, but it, come, it comes straight out of Ephesians 1, verses 7 and 8. And it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. Well, how do we respond to that? I'm learning. It's okay to wrestle. I wrestle in worship all the time. Even when life hurts mentally, emotionally and physically and spiritually. I believe it's got to be one of my values and one of the core values that we have as a church here. Worship is a lifestyle that is expressed with private consistency and corporate vibrancy. In other words, your life, you've, you need to have the outlet of worship when you're at home, in your prayer closet, when you're by yourself in your car. But friends, you need it to be here. Uh, Pat Ratliff, she said it to me more than one time, Bill, when I don't get to church, things just don't feel right through the week. And she's right. Something isn't right. Now, you guys know, this is one of my favorite seasons because I love uh, the NCAA. I love March Madness, love basketball. And you might think that NCAA, UK Wildcat basketball is the only team I like and that I don't like. Where's Jason? Is he upstairs? There he is. Jason, you might think, that just because you lost your hat for OSU here at the church, that I don't like OSU, okay? I did not take your hat, man. You got my chairs? Never mind. Uh, uh, he's holding my chairs hostage. We're going to have exchange after church here. I, if there's one thing I do like, I like watching OSU football because you guys are some of the most committed football fans I've ever seen. And, and I get the Big Ten Network, I get ESPN, and Cheryl and I, will sit there and we'll watch 
the OSU football games. I like OSU football, all right? Um, but I watch what happens, and I see all these throngs of people just flooding into the shoe. And some people, uh, students and, and people in the community, they walk miles and miles to get there. And if you watch, sometimes the walkers will beat all the people that drive there because they're sitting there twiddling their thumbs in traffic waiting to get to the parking lot and be bussed up to the front door and everything. But those people will walk for miles and miles. And they've been to their tailgate parties, you know. They've been with their friends. Uh, they're walking to the same. They're going to go in. They're going to eat way overpriced junk food, you know. They're going to sit on cold aluminum seats. And it could be 30 below zero, okay. But OSU fans are going to be there. And you'll walk through a blizzard. I saw the game, you know, the highlights from years ago with Michigan. You guys will go through a blizzard to go to an OSU football game. And when I see all that happening, I think a lot of these are the same people. They wouldn't walk a football field's length to worship God. In fact, there's a danger I could be one of those people. It says in Psalm 95.1, thought about my daughter on this one, we ought to be a vegan church. Now, don't get me wrong on this. This is what I mean by this. Psalm 95 says this, come let us. Okay, I, I like that better. Let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our God and Maker, for He is our God, and let us proclaim that we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. I will chalk that one up to medication. That's why that wasn't funny. Then lastly, <laughs> we've got to ex examine the rest of our lives. What are you going to do with the rest of your life, your skills, your talents, and your abilities that God has given you? Number three, you've got to choose to give God more than your leftover gifts more than your leftover talents, more than your leftover abilities. Francis Chan wrote in a book called Crazy Love, a quote that I wanted to share with you. And it just so happens, it's about this passage in Malachi 1. He says this, the priest of Malachi's day thought their sacrifices were sufficient. They had spotless animals, but chose to keep them for themselves and give the less desirable animals to God. They assumed that God was pleased because they had sacrificed something. But God described this practice as evil. Leftovers are not merely inadequate. And from God's point of view, lest we forget, his is the only one that matters. They're evil. So let's stop calling it a busy schedule or bills or forgetfulness. It's called evil. God is holy and in heaven exists a being who decides whether or not I take another breath. And this holy God deserves excellence. He's right. God deserves more than whatever energy we have left. He deserves all our energy. He deserves more than, than just an hour or two on Sunday morning. He deserves all of our time, wherever we are, whatever we're doing. That we're told in Scripture to give thanks to God in all things. Timothy was told by Paul in 2 Timothy 2.15, Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Some people ask me sometimes, you know, how do you do it as a preacher? You know, you only work one day a week anyway, but how do you do uh, the, the whole sermon thing? And for, for preaching, for you elders that have preached, you know it's not easy. 
you know it's, it's a labor of love. And just so you know, it takes about 20 hours a week you know, of, of reading Scripture and praying over it and working on an outline and, and, and looking in other uh, messages and other books and listening. It's a labor of love, and you put it together and you sweat over it. And, and the reason I do that is because I don't, I don't want to give God leftovers. In my ministry, I've got tons of sermon I could go back to and say, I'm just going to pull this one today. That's leftover meat. I want to bring something that's fresh because I want to give God the fresh result of my service and sacrifice every day. Now, I don't always get it right. I don't always do my best. He deserves more every day from me. But he does from all of us. Vance Havner was an old preacher, and I like what he said. He said, many of us, we, we, we're guilty of living by proxy. We don't go to the garden of life for our food. But rather, we live on mental and spiritual canned goods prepared in the laboratories of others. Anybody that knows cooking will tell you fresh is always best. Going to the Word of God. And you know what? I think we get that. And yet so many times in our country, we get to this consumer mentality where we think our job is to come and sit and say, feed me. And if we don't like the sermon that was preached, we don't like the worship songs that were sung, we'll go find another place because, you know, I'm just there to be fed. And we treat church like McChurch. You know, we drive up in the drive-thru and we say, you know, I could use an order of peace uh, and some patience. And and, and could you double-size that or, you know, supersize that for me, please? And we get it and we leave and we say, I'll see you next week. Friends, we need to move from being consumers to being in the trenches, working alongside the living Savior, working alongside Him and giving Him the absolute best of our gifts and our talents and our abilities. I want to close with 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 8. This is what the Apostle Peter wrote. He said, for this reason, make every effort, and you got to do this with excellence, add to your faith goodness, to your goodness knowledge, to your knowledge self-control, and to your self-control, perseverance, to your perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, well, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think that our Lord is calling this church in this season of our individual lives and as a church, I think he's calling us as a core to be truly sold out to Jesus Christ and say, I've only got one life and I'm going to invest it in the one who gave everything for me. I'm going to invest my life and the best of it in Jesus Christ and in his kingdom because he's the only one who ever gave his best. So no more leftovers. I'm going to ask that you stay with me this morning. And we'll lead us in prayer, and then Bob and the worship team is going to lead us in a, in a song of decision. And uh, friends, if you need to make a decision to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you've never felt the passion that comes from being in a relationship with God. He meant us for more than just heaven. He meant us for an everyday walk and talk, strength and support, fellowship with Him. And you know you need that in your life. It begins with just that acceptance of Jesus. I know. I know who you are. 
I know that you're God's son. I know he sent you because you were the only way that all the scribbles, that all the disaster of my life could ever be removed. And you had to die for it. It's because of your blood that that I want him to look at me that way. I want him to see me clean. Friends, the waters of baptism are prepared every week if you're ready to take that step. But don't go another day warming up leftovers. Come fresh to God today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that it wasn't years ago, although it was. It wasn't months ago, although it was. And it was as fresh as this morning that I woke up aware of the mangled and tangled mess that I have made in my life. And Satan tries to remind me of that. But his hands are far too weak and were created far too small to match an uncreated God's You hold your hand steady over my life. And for the assurance that comes of knowing, God, you you choose to look at me through the eyes of your son, through the blood of your son. Father, I know some of the messes in this room. Oh, I don't know them all, because I'm not you. In fact, Father, this is a place sometimes where we come, we just, we act like we got it all together, but we don't. There's no one perfect in this room. No elder, no deacon, no preacher, no leader, no individual. We all sin. We all fall short of your glory. But God, I'm thankful that this church is seen in the light of Jesus. And as long as we worship, as long as we look to you, as long as we serve you, God, you'll bless us. We don't want some leftover blessing. So we're not going to bring you a leftover gift. We're coming to you with everything we have because you've given everything for us. So whatever decision needs to be made now, whether they come forward or right where they're standing, let it be made because now is the time. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.